People will talk about it like they talk about Battle of the Network Stars someday. Remember someday. that? Remember yeah. how great that was? Oh, that was Circus the of the Stars. I was just going to say Circus <laughs> of the Stars. I just remember Pernell Roberts doing a board breaking routine. Ooh. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know how to break a board. <laughs> how did you learn how to break a board? I'm not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Pernell Roberts probably did it better. Or at least he taught me. Oh, there you go. I think oh. Harry Hart was doing trapeze work. Harry Hart was always. So was Pamela Sue. What was her name from Dynasty? I want to say Martin, but I don't think that's yes, right. Yes, that it is right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was Patrick Duffy ever a network star? I feel like he was. Mm. We like got to find somebody who worked on those shows to give us inside, mm-hmm. like an elephant handler or something. Who Ooh, just that'd be the best. Probably going to have some sort of smoker's cough. It's not going to care at all about uh, dishing on any of these people. I know. That's exactly who we need. That person's going to be our best friend. Yeah, to tell us what uh, the cast of Silver Spoons was really like when the right? cameras were off. Oh, you know. You know. What's it? The dad was just an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and Aaron Gray was... God bless her. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was trying to think of other shows, but all of them, so many of them, the cast has moved on to other things where it's like, like you can't... Like death? Well, I feel like... Um, facts of life you can't really everybody knows I feel like that's cheers (laughs) which was my class class of 93 uh, class song wow (laughs) (laughs) that was our class song no lie that was before it was wasn't okay to use um I would assume a song about a bar is an interesting theme for high school. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did you guys do the second verse at all? Oh, yeah. Wake up, wake up in bed. They sang the whole kitten Mr. caboodle. Coffee's dead. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's at least one line in there that is probably inappropriate now. Oh, I think the whole thing was inappropriate um, in retrospect. But then, like, if a lot of class songs were not necessarily really appropriate. Well, true. Wait, what is this? They just um they just have the actual one that's on like actually on oh here we go. Oh, it's a BuzzFeed article. Um of course. the lyrics to the folk cheers theme are completely insane. This is why, with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. Roll out of bed, Mr. Coffee's dead, the morning's looking bright, and your shrink ran off to Europe and didn't even write, and your husband wants to be a girl. Be glad there's one place in the world where everybody knows your name. Yes. Yeah, I guess they don't really highlight that one anymore. Probably not. Yeah. Oh, well. It doesn't really get much like syndication it, rotation anymore. Really? Oh, that was. I know. I used to love that show. I did too. <sighs> Frasier still gets a lot of love, but. I never really got into that all that much. 
Yeah, I didn't like it as much. Let's either. talk to the intern about TV shows she's probably never heard of and get depressed. I know. I know that's the problem with headphones is she can't hear. Does she want to go where everyone knows her name? Do you want to go where everyone knows your name? Hmm? Yeah, she went. Hmm? Okay. Toss salad, scrambled eggs. Oh, that sounds that sounds terrible. That's the Fraser <laughs> theme song. I know, but it sounds well, like why don't you ask her? See if prison. she knows it. Well, well now ask her. <laughs> ask her. I'm supposed to ask you toss salad, scrambled eggs. She's looking at me like I'm insane. <laughs> oh, this is great. She's like, are you talking guys talking about food or are you being weird? Can you They're just say yes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, okay, let me She's see. She's missed you, Luke. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of other theme songs we can run by her and just when you put Making them out, your... like share them with a normal human being when they hear it and they just go, What are you like? This is awful. Why are you talking? Like, you know what I right. mean? Which isn't even like a generational thing. Like, I think we could do this with most people in the world. Right. I mean, the problem is so much of it, I feel like, was instrumental. True. You got your, your Alf. Um, true, your A team. Oh, other well, yeah. sitcoms that don't begin with the letter A. True, what were the so didn't Silver Spoons have lyrics? Well, yeah, picture wait, couple of Silver Spoons. Picture, oh, that's right, me, right? Yes, you and me. Here we are face to face, a couple of Silver yes, Spoons. Yes, there we go. Open to find, we're two of a kind, making a go, making it grow. Does she See? know any of that? She's focused on something else. She's not even paying attention to me anymore. It's like she doesn't even no, know. No, she me. has to. She has to. I don't know Streaks on the China never mattered before. Who cares? When you dropped when you drop kicked your jacket as you came through the door, no one glared. But sometimes things get turned around and no one's spared. All hands look out below. There's a change in the status quo. Gonna need all the help that we can get. According to our new arrival, life is more than mere survival. We just might live the good life yet. Uh, that would be uh, Mr. Belvedere. Oh, yeah. Dramatic reading from the Book of Belvedere. I loved that. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Webster was it was you and me and then came you. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I think that first kind of interested me in, in reaching out to you and seeing if we could have you on the show was your um, guide to writing good sex scenes. Ah, yes, the smut writing guide. I'm yes. so very proud of that. Yeah. It, you should be. Um, what, what makes a good sex scene from your experience? Not getting too caught up in the physicality of it, which sounds counterintuitive because it's a sex scene, it's a, it's a physical act, but people tend to focus too much on the actual mechanics of what makes a sex scene, when in reality you should be focusing, especially from a reader point of view, it's not really so much about the sex, it's about the emotions, it's about what everything feels like, what the characters are thinking, all of that is equally as important. Everything does need to be anatomically correct and to some degree um, responsible, in my opinion, which is why there's a section in my smut writing guide about prophylactics and sex with, with partners of various genders, things like that. But it's, it's more important to focus on the emotion of it than the actual physical act. Makes sense. So when did you realize you were good at writing sex scenes? 
Oh, oh, very um, uncomfortably early. I, I, started, I started writing fan fiction when I was like 15 and I was describing nice. sex acts that I thankfully had not had and did not go on to have until I was of a much more mature and responsible age. But uh, sex scenes are actually something that I'm kind of known for, which is why I decided to write the smut writing guide. I was constantly getting um, questions, emails, comments, blog comments from people saying, how do I write this? How do I do this? How do you do this so well? And one of the one of the biggest compliments that I ever got, weirdly enough, was being widely plagiarized. People would steal oh. my sex scenes, change <laughs> the names, and then put them into their fic. And I wasn't even all that insulted by it because it's fan fiction. It's free to peruse on the internet. But that was kind of when I knew I'd made it, when people started stealing my work and passing it off as their own. It was really a huge compliment. How do you discover that? Is it just from reading something and being like, this sounds super familiar? <laughs> no, fans. Fans. Wow. People, would, people are very policing on the internet. Fans of mine would contact me and say, hey, this person stole this sexy and I instantly recognized it, which is another way that I knew that yeah. <laughs> people were able to read a scene and go, wait a minute, that's this author I remember. Wow. And they would contact me and say, hey, this person stole your fic. And I would always be you know, very polite about it. I'd write the person and say, hey, I know writing sex scenes is uncomfortable and you may not feel like you're ready so you took my fic you do have to take it down but <laughs> just this scene you don't have to you know get rid of your entire work and that's actually another reason why i ended up writing the smut guide because anyone i'm not you know so full of myself as to think that i'm the only person who can write scenes the way i do so i decided to put the building blocks together and basically save the plagiarist some time like hey guys <laughs> instead of instead of ripping me off you can just learn all my secrets and then do it yourself and one of the things I love about the guide is your lists of other words people can use. Mm -hmm. yes. the, the fact you have sexy alternatives to said, which yeah. is amazing. That's one that people struggle with a lot. And it's a funny one because in the publishing industry, people, people will often tell you said is fine. Said is not a dirty word. You can just say said. You don't have to exclaim or chuckle or breathe every other sentence. You can just say said. But when you're writing a sex scene, it's not until your editor points out that you said moan 60 times that you realize <laughs> you don't know any other way to say moan. Right. So I just came up with an entire list and I put little warnings to like use this one for comedic effect. Use this one if you're trying to convey this emotion because they really do mean a variety of things. But yeah, I often actually consult my own guide when I discover that I have just said the same word too many times. Now the teachers become the pupil. Right. The teacher has become the pupil of the teacher of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how uh, many I, people actually consult the guide when they're actually in the bedroom. <laughs> Ooh, I, I would love to know the answer. If anyone right? listening to this has done that, please let me know. It will make my decade. And it's a brand new decade. So that's nine whole years you'll have made for me. See, I yeah. feel like people should. I mean, you could be in the throes of passion and at a loss for words and need to find something to say. As opposed Absolutely. to, ooh, wow, look at your throbbing manhood, like Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You run out of alternatives sometimes. You got to liven things up. Right? Sure. And I also love that, what, I, I love reading every year the excerpts from the nominees for the Bad Sex and Fiction Award. 
Oh, so uh, for those who are writing out there writing fan fiction, if it gets torn to shreds, it's a nice reminder to know that Don DeLillo could also take a page from this lesson as well. Yeah, I hear there are some authors who purposefully try to make that list. <laughs> really? Well, I mean, all publicity is allegedly good publicity. So if you if you absolutely, absolutely Harvey Oswald said, scene, you might as well <laughs> yeah. write the baddest of the bad. That's true. I, I guess, yeah. The fail, fail excellently. Yeah. So how did you, was writing something you always wanted to do? Could you just not find a good story where Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were slow boning? And you just <laughs> were like, I need to make this happen. Um, I was an avid reader as a child and writing never really occurred to me. Per it's kind of funny to think about fan fiction occurred to me before writing occurred to me. I was always an avid reader. The the librarians at my local library stopped actually checking the books out to me. They would just run them through the thing that would keep them from beeping and then they let me go because they knew I'd be back <laughs> the next day for more books and I was. So I read and read and read and read and read and I finally sort of exhausted everything that was good in my genre and I was 15 or so when a friend turned to me and said, have you heard about fan fiction? And I grew up in a nerdy household. My mom loved Star Trek. My dad loved Star Wars. My brother loved Lord of the Rings. So I was raised on a healthy diet of some of the most popular fan fiction categories. And as soon as I found out, I was addicted. I was like, I can read this at home as much as I want, anytime. And then from there, it was a natural leap to go from reading it to writing it. And then that was sort of when I got the bug but I didn't necessarily want to get published or write books or write original content. I was just having fun at first playing in other people's sandboxes, you know? Oh, I, I have so many questions about the fact that you grew up in an intergalactical <laughs> But So what was the, which stories did you start with? Which characters did you sort of take this plunge with? I started off in anime interestingly enough i have actually to this day read very little lord of the rings or star wars or star trek fan fiction or harry potter for that matter because those to me were always the stories that were sort of already complete yeah i mm -hmm. i was in anime at the time so i started reading fan fiction for anime because those were the ones where I was like, okay, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this could be fixed. These characters should clearly be together. I don't know what the writer is doing. But... <laughs> so fan fiction for me was always a way to take something that I thought was flawed and augment it in the way that I wanted to see. So that's sort of how I got started. And then I, I stopped being a weeb. I grew up, my my tastes changed. And then I started um, with other other shows. So that's that's really the the basics of it. It was a it was a way to fix the things that I felt needed to be fixed. That makes sense. Yeah, and then when I started producing original content, I was God, so I got to do whatever I wanted. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> So when did you know that this was something you wanted to do beyond just fixing the things that were broken, where you really wanted to pursue it and make a career out of it? It was kind of a long journey. There's a reason why I highly recommend fan fiction writing to young aspiring authors. The sandbox is already there. The world is already there. The characters are already there. You're just coming in and adding 
your spin to things so it's easy and the feedback is instant and overwhelmingly positive people talk about trolls online but fan fiction doesn't really see a lot of that i think i've gotten maybe a dozen bad reviews in my life and i should have gotten a lot more because like i said i've been doing this since i was 15. i'm not pretending that i produced pulitzer worthy <laughs> writing when i was younger i deserved bad reviews but i never got them so I started off in this largely positive, instant feedback, instant gratification sort of environment. And one of the big drawbacks to trying to become an author is that you have to write a book, <laughs> like an entire 80,000 to 100,000 word, depending on your genre endeavor. And you go into it with this passion, but then about halfway through, you start <laughs> doubting yourself, you start thinking I'm blocked, I've, I've invested all of this time. Am I really going to invest another, if you're quick, three months of your life, if you're not a year of my life on this thing that might never see the light of day? So I didn't get off to an auspicious start. I got my first book published when I was graduating from college, and then I actually stepped away for a really long time. And part of that was because I started getting actual reviews, like from people <laughs> from no. who knew what they were talking about. And I was 19. <laughs> when I wrote my book. So it was terrible, objectively terrible. I recognize that. And so I spent some time away. I got my master's degree. I started working. And then one night when I was up way too late because I was between jobs, I got an idea. And it was my first idea that wouldn't leave me alone. And that was the book that I wrote. I turned it out in, in something like six months around my day job. And then as soon as that got published, like I got pulled out of the slush pile in six weeks flat. And as soon wow. as that happened, I was like, this is it. This is yeah. what I want to do. And now I actually can do it with a virtual guarantee that if I take the time to write something, it will be published. Wow. Having that was what really made it feasible for me to devote such a chunk of my life and my selfie to doing this. I think more people would if they had that guarantee. Now, how long did you write fanfic before having this idea where you're like, oh, wait a second. And I'm assuming it's also, I have this idea, but I know how I can start to put this together. Not that it's going to be easy, but at least I know what blocks I need to put in what order. Yeah, that was also a big thing. I started writing fanfiction when I was 15. I, of course, always thought that I was excellent. I always got positive feedback. Sure. I hear, I hear this podcast is amazing. <laughs> Yeah. No, our mothers criticize us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I started um, writing when I was 15. I didn't write an actual book until I was 19. It got published when I was 21. And then it was another four years before I got the idea that wouldn't quit. Wow. And then from when I was about 25 to 28, I actually published 12 titles. So wow. yeah, as soon as the floodgates opened, they opened. So what was the idea for our listeners? Um, I was up late at night and watching TV and a phone sex commercial came on. And I remember watching it and thinking, oh God, whoever that poor lady is, she does not get paid enough. <laughs> and then I became curious about who that poor lady was. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, 
these are people that we never think about. You know, they're they're like cab drivers or the guy who's piloting your plane or the homeless guy on the corner of the street. Like you're tangentially aware of them. You know, they exist. But how much do you actually think about who they are, what their home life is? And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I want to know that person. I want to write about that person. And I had a number of actual, like, real-life friends who were sex workers, mm-hmm. um, cam girls, you know, to pay tuition when we were in college, or sure. strippers, or, you know, full-service sex workers. And I was already very sex worker positive because these are usually disenfranchised people. They're usually impoverished. Yep. Many of them are people of color. Sometimes they're disabled. And this is a way for them to earn money from their homes in their own time. And and I just went down this rabbit hole of, I want to humanize these people. I want to write an entire series of books that shows you who these people are in their downtime and who they are in their personal relationships. And from there, it just exploded. And I had an absolute blast writing it. How many, how many books do you turn out in a year? And how do you do it, for lack of a better question? Um, it sort of depends if I really put my mind to it, I can produce a 70 to 80,000 word novel in two months, which sounds really good, but it's a process. I have a friend who's a ghost writer and she writes something like 130,000 words a month. Wow. Wow. Yes. And that's with editing and everything. I need a month to write a book and then a month to basically go back and rewrite it. That's my writing process. I put the words down on the page. I don't care if they suck. I know they suck. But then I go back and I fix them later when I've had some distance. And I know that makes me one of the more prolific writers, but I know people who produce, you know, between 12 and 24 titles a year. I was happy one year when I produced seven and two of those books were novellas. So the more you do it, it's like, I actually can't use this metaphor for a funny reason that I'll get to, but it's like (laughs) riding a bike. The more you use it, the easier it becomes, like the more you do it. But I actually never learned how to ride a bike. So I, here we go. go. When people say it's like riding a bike, I'm like, I don't know how to do that. You're not helpful. I totally get this. I'm the same. I never learned either. All the time. But I feel we are superior people because we're not bridled by the constraints of bikes. I'll take it. And that's so (laughs) great. I've never met someone else who also never learned. Do you have a page count every day? Do you work every day? How do Um, you? every day I don't do weekends which Mm -hmm. is my well no I don't take weekends off is what I mean and that's my uh penitence for getting to work in my pajamas all day every day so Mm -hmm. it's a minimum of three thousand a day I think the most I've ever hit in a day was something like six thousand and that was when I, I woke up from a dream in which I perfectly dreamed out my chapter I sat down, I started writing, and I I looked up, and it was sunset. Wow. That's a good day. I wish that would happen yeah. more often. Yeah. I really do, because most days it's like, I write, you know, 100 words, I get some water, I write 100 words, I'm hungry, I eat a snack, <laughs> I write 100 words, and it's just all day. So what's next on the horizon? Um. So... I sort of have plans for a fourth book in the series that I wrote my first series, which was the Murmuring series, which was about sex work. And I always kind of had an idea for it, but I finished three books. Three is a nice number. Publishing companies usually like to leave it there because 
with every book in a series that you write, obviously you have drop off. Right. And I wrote my books very quickly. Um, saturation is absolutely a thing, even from devoted fans. If you're an author who puts out 12 tit titles a year, people get full. Like they, they get tired of you, basically, even if they love you. So I took a little break from that. And I'm thinking I might come back to it because marketing is a huge, huge part of your life as an author. A lot of people think your job is just to write your editors clean up your mess and then your publishing company takes care of the rest. Not true. Not true at all. You have to constantly market, look for opportunities, figure out what's going on in the market. Kindle unlimited is a big thing now. How else is Amazon crushing us all independently? How do we fight that? That sort of thing. So every, every new book is a chance to market your backlog. So that's what I think is in store for me next. And I'm assuming that's sort of an ongoing process, like there's the word count, but then there's also the how do I make sure that these titles stay out there, that they can get found by people who are looking for this, you know, who are saying, I want to read something good in this genre. Mm -hmm. Where do I start? Absolutely. Discoverability is a, is a huge thing. You can write the absolute best novel in the world, but if no one reads it, then no one cares. Right. So staying relevant and right. actually writing fan fiction has helped with that a bit. There have been a number of people who have discovered my original content through my fan fiction, particularly the smut writing guide, which a lot of people have been very um, thankful and very sweet about. I've gotten a lot of very nice things from people. So even if you're, you know, doing things in your own time for fun, you can still look at that as an opportunity to engage with people and get your name out there. What is another author that you think is really good at writing smut? Ooh, oh gosh. Okay, there are so many. Um, probably, so I actually have a, um, a friend who we met through fan fiction. She wrote a Sherlock fic that I loved to the point where I offered to, um, are you guys familiar with the term beta? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So for the for, for the people who aren't sure, beta is sort of like an amateur editor. When you're um, writing fan fiction, sometimes you will get a friend that you know online to read it ahead of time and suggest things and make little edits, and they're called a beta. I loved her fic so much that I offered to beta for her so that I could read the chapters early. <laughs> and um, the, fic, the fic ended up being huge and she became That's a awesome. BNF, which is a big name fan in the industry. It's the, the fanfic authors who are um, really well known. They get hundreds and thousands of page reads. Many of them go on to become famous authors. Uh, I can't, Cassandra Clare is one. Cassandra Clare was a BNF in the, um, Harry Potter fandom back in like the early 2000s. And now she's a dozen book published author with a TV series and several um, feature films. So um, I met a BNF named uh, Ellie Easton or Eli Easton. I'm not actually sure how it's pronounced, but I was her beta back in the day and I loved her work. And now she is this huge author also in lgbt fiction and i think that her smut scenes are just the bee's knees so <laughs> are there unofficial rules when writing in the erotica genre um we interviewed a writer who does a lot of cozy mysteries and she said mm -hmm. that there is that you know where there has to be a body by this page and if not editors start to get a little antsy are the similar rules in in writing erotica that something has to happen by page 
25 or is that a little more fluid? So uh, one thing that I am going to make a distinction about is the use of the term erotica. Erotica Mm -hmm. right now is actually not a very successful genre. Erotica specifically in the publishing industry means books that are sex, very little plot, very little emotion. It's just a fantasy. It's usually, you know, BDSM or kinky in some way, but it's very different from writing romance, which at the moment is the top selling genre. Romance is famous for having sex scenes, but the difference between the two is erotica is nothing but sex scenes. Whereas with romance, while readers absolutely do want the sex and come for the sex, there's much more of a focus on the relationship and Mm -hmm. the emotional high that you get out of reading two characters fall in love in a variety of tropes that are well-trod over and over and over again. So um, I would say that I write more romance than erotica. My books have plots, they have a message, things like Mm -hmm. that. But it is true that if you write a sex light book, it won't be as appealing to some people as it would be to others. It kind of depends because I write an LGBT. So I have a number of readers who are asexual. They'd be just as happy if my books had no sex in them at all. And it was just the relationship and the emotional high. Then I have Mm -hmm. other people who all they want is a book that has sex in every single chapter and the emotional high. I would say those are the best sellers. Uh, And that that seems sense. (laughs) Yeah, very long answer to your question. And I'm sorry about that. The basics of it is that have a sex scene by about a quarter in or people are going to get antsy. <laughs> that seems like a pretty tall fence to climb if you have to have the character development and this emotional mm-hmm. relationship and sex in every chapter. Yep, and keep it at about 80,000 words because anything longer than that and it's just too um, too long of a book. So you've got to got to pack it all in there uh, for lack of a more delicate phrase. Well, and for lack of I don't know what <laughs> Um, do you, how how do you keep writing sex interesting? I mean, just for yourself, it's sort of like, okay, here we go again. Um, (laughs) yes, it's different characters. Yes, it's a different scenario, but I'm assuming you don't really want to go on autopilot when writing any sex scene. That's sort of a death knell. I sort of do in the beginning, but it's, I'm going to use the riding the bike metaphor again. Mm-hmm. Once you've done it, you sort of know, you know what feels comfortable, you know what people respond to. So like I said, I write I write every book that I write twice. The first time when I'm just getting down, and then the second time when I go back and fix it, basically. So when I'm writing a sex scene, I, I put the mechanics down, I put the basics of what's supposed to happen, and then when I go back and fix it, is when I sort of add the details. And the way it stays fresh is, well, I know some people who just like straight up escalate their sex scenes. Like you start off with something fairly vanilla and then it gets kinkier and kinkier and kinkier. For me, I let the the characters do it because mm-hmm. if it's the first quarter of a romance novel. They're not in love yet, usually. Right. They're not even dating yet, usually. So the first time will be a complete, like, passionate one night, who knows what we're doing, oh, was it a mistake sort of moment. The next time might be more, maybe there's something here. And then the next time is, 
wow, I think I'm falling in love with you. And then the next time is it's our honeymoon and we're having sex as, you know, couples, like a married couple for the first time. Right. So all four of those scenes, even though the mechanics might be similar, they are completely different in right. tone, in mm -hmm. the words you use, in the actions you do, in how they treat each other. So it sort of organically develops its own way to remain fresh. So what's next? What's the next book coming out? When is it coming um, out? I have a book in the works right now. I'm not going to share the title, even though I love the title. <laughs> I'm a, I am a big fan of puns and colloquialisms and phrases as titles. So I have one that's pretty good. And it's an exploration of getting drunk married in Vegas when you are a queer person. Excellent. And I'm very excited about it because a lot of people labor under the misconception that you can, in fact, just drunkenly get married in Vegas. Not true. Really? You have to have a marriage certificate issued by a clerk of the county court, and you have to actually get officially married in the courthouse. You can't just show up at a chapel with, you know, ring pops as rings and boom, you're married. You have to go through all the regular legal channels. So writing a book in which characters actually do end up getting accidentally drunkenly married in Vegas takes a lot of steps. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. For more information on Quinn, you can find her on Facebook as well as Twitter, where she is at QuinnAndersonXO. And to pick up copies of any of Quinn's books, you can get them where you usually get books, your Amazons, your Barnes & Nobles, or even your local bookstore. Be sure to follow Why the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out our YouTube channel for some additional great Why content. If you're so inclined, please leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Today's show was produced by myself and Heidi Hegquist, our reluctant executive producers are John Sove and Sandy Stone. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mustonen. Our intern is Randy Jeanette. The theme song was performed by the Electrosynthno Magnetic Polyphonic Orchestra. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home. <laughs>